listening to Validation Matters, a podcast series of Validation Institute. A membership organization, Validation Institute is a trusted, independent third-party resource for healthcare purchasers, vendors, and benefits advisors. The mission of Validation Institute is to deliver better health value and stronger outcomes than conventional healthcare. Welcome all. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the show's producer. Anchoring the series is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. On today's episode, our guest is data scientist and practical epidemiologist, Linda Riddle. Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Linda and her work at Validation Institute. Thanks so much, Greg. And Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on today, Linda. I know we've worked together uh, over the last couple of years on different projects and things. So why don't you give the audience a little bit of your background? So I am somewhat of a hybrid between a data scientist and an epidemiologist, which simply means I love to wrangle with the data sources um, once the hypothesis or question has been framed about what we're analyzing. So essentially, I work with clients on first framing the good question, which all boil down to what's working, (laughs) Uh, and then working with uh, available data sources and measures to answer that question. So when we think about healthcare today and this whole move we're trying to get to value-based care, population health, all of this has to do with data. How do you take a look at that and say, first of all, how do you come up with what data might be needed in order to answer the questions you're asking? Good question. Uh, Real challenge is around defining what is value. So Mm -hmm. for example, um, an employer might find value in um, healthy days. So that would be the count of days in the past 30 where the person's health, mental health or physical health, interfered with their ability to go to work or do their day-to-day activities. For an insurer, it's not likely to be that so much as, oh, could be on uh, length of stay or um, need for rehabilitation um, after stroke care or home health versus skilled nursing facility care, those kinds of things. Uh, So it depends on who you're talking with, what value means and how to develop a data source around that, which brings you to your next challenge of unforeseen consequences. When when you focus on something to measure and there are human beings involved, (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) strange things can happen. So a famous case that was in the news a few years ago, the um, Veterans Administration at the federal level had a quality measure for veterans receiving outpatient physician office visits within, I think it was 14 days. What essentially happened is that the participating clinics, the VA clinics, were able to manipulate, let's say, their data source around this, and it made it look like they were having fabulous performance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so there's those kinds of things, too, with unintended consequences. Yeah. so, So as an example of that, they were reporting that they had these these great results for this, whether it was a 14-day you know, visit time or something, getting it within 14 days. What 
underlying that allowed that to be determined that that wasn't correct? Was somebody putting in fake data? Were they excluding data? And how did that sort of come out? They were excluding data, uh, if I recall correctly. So Uh uh, the the people who had called, say, on March 1st um, wouldn't appear in the data until uh, 14 days before their actual visit was scheduled. (laughs) So maybe they went back and edited when the initial contact occurred, but miraculously uh, it happened within 14 days. And that really gets to the the understanding that sometimes, particularly as we're trying to move to value and whether it's value for an employer around a situation or around cost or, or utilization rates, sometimes what's actually put out there in the front end as the marketing or, or the piece saying, here are my results, needs to be dug a little bit deeper to figure out how they came up with that, correct? The issue that you're raising is that vendors can claim to, say, reduce healthcare costs by 20% or reduce emergency room visits by 50%. And there's no one policing them to see whether they're telling the truth or whether they've used uh, a credible data source, whether they've constructed their measure correctly, et cetera. And the purchasers, employers, for example, don't necessarily have a data scientist or public health um, expert on their side of the table saying, you know, there's no way you could reduce emergency room visits by 50% in 12 months. So it's lack of information, lack of expertise on the purchaser side that allows these vendors to make these claims and to gain market share based on these fabulous results. Right. It's not like where you're submitting something through for FDA and you've got to have these random controlled trials or studies around your medication or you've published an article about a, about a study um, that actually is a, is credibly done, and, and and what's interesting I think is we've looked at this for years. You you've seen it and I've seen it. There are all these companies who come in and say we provide these great results. We can we showed savings here or we reduced ER there. But at the end of the day, the U.S. healthcare system's costs and many employers' costs just continue to rise even with these programs in place. So wouldn't that lead to perhaps a little bit of skepticism to say maybe we do need to dig a little bit deeper? One would hope uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> right? um, yeah. that these, these programs promising results but not delivering would eventually fade out. Mm-hmm. And p- perhaps that will ultimately happen, but it seems like a long time coming that these programs are promising a lot of savings not delivering that, and yet still are retaining their market share. So you've seen a lot, and you do, you do these reviews, and you've seen a lot of examples of, of issues. You raised one, which was just, in essence, uh, the, the, the company sort of falsifying their data by changing the dates. What are some of the other types or categories of this where you see it's presented as X, but in reality, that X is Y because it was done inappropriately or the, the data wasn't the right data. Are there some areas you could delve us into? Mm-hmm. So one classic example is comparing participants to non-participants. So you could take uh, participants in a heart disease program, for example, and um, they'll have fabulous results in their blood pressure going down and their physical activity going up 
you know, say over a three or four month period of time. And obviously this will compare favorably to uh, heart disease patients who are not in the program. Mm -hmm. The the fallacy in this is participants and non-participants in that kind of program are radically different even before the program started. They're not, they're not comparable groups. The, the non-participants may have more severe illness. They're obviously not attracted to joining the program. So that's a huge factor. Isn't that sort of like, when you just said it, isn't that sort of like readiness to change? The individuals have already indicated by joining that they're ready to change. They're willing to do things different, whereas those who haven't joined have indicated they're not. So that sort of creates that disparity between the two groups. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. And I I think personally, that's why the whole focus right now seems to be on engagement. There's this Uh idea that perhaps we can transform those non-participants into participants by boosting engagement. And I'm skeptical uh, Mm -hmm. about that. (laughs) Right. Especially in terms of that kind of wellness program. You know, we've seen this, obviously the JAMA article came out, and we've discussed that on the show a little bit, uh, regarding a really what, I, I guess, could you sort of say from your perspective that was a really good study design and measurement? Yes, it was fabulous. They did so many things right on that. Right from the beginning, they registered that study on the, um, I'm not sure I have the URL correct. I think it's clinicaltrials.gov, mm-hmm. but it is a federal mm-hmm. registry of, of clinical trials. So they set out what they were going to study, how they were going to study it in advance. Mm-hmm. And then their ultimate published study had to follow what they had originally set out. So that is just fabulous. A lot of research, which let's define that loosely, a lot of analysis of data from wellness programs certainly is not at that level of formality and, and there's no initial commitment to what is being studied. So it allows people to go on what's technically called a fishing trip. So they can look around in the data and see what they can find as a positive result with that pre-registration that entirely shuts that door. And then the other, the other thing is with, with that was a random controlled trial and they were able to get employer Mm -hmm. group to split you know, randomly split up their locations and put the programs in on one and not the other, et cetera, which, which clearly creates a good sense of rigor to compare much better that way. What are some of the other methods? Because as, as a, a company, you, maybe you can't do that. Obviously, this idea of participant, non-participants doesn't work. But what are some of the ways you can make up for that issue of measurement? So let's say, for example, um, you bring in a program that is meant to decrease emergency room visits for asthma. In order to measure the impact of that program, you could take a baseline year and count all of the emergency room visits for asthma and take a post-intervention year and look at all of the ER visits for asthma. So you're looking at what change occurred for that type of visit over the entire group, not just the few patients, however many there are, who participated in the asthma intervention. Right. So let's say there were 100 patients pre 
and they had X number of visits, and then you had 100 in that intervention year. You intervened with 20 of them, but you look at all 100's visits. Is that is that the way you're doing it? Correct. And that also points to an interesting thing, and I don't know what your comment may be on this one, is there is a need to, in essence, get as many of those people engaged in your intervention as possible because if somebody comes back and said, well, I had 2%, I only took the 2% highest risk asthmatics, the likelihood of them actually having created a change is lower? Correct. So there is a phenomenon called, uh, technically called regression to the mean. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the layperson's summary of that is things go back to normal, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> so uh, that high risk asthma patient say in year 2000, they had a hospitalization, they had exacerbations, they had all kinds of problems. The chances are in the year subsequent to that, they had none of those things or maybe one emergency room visit and not a hospital stay. So there's always, outliers are always on their way back to average and vice versa, perhaps. You know, there's always some percentage of your group that's going to crop up as a high cost uh, patient. That can't generally be foreseen, but the outliers are, are always on their way back to normal. So if you have an intervention that is specifically for your outliers, you can pat yourself on the back for doing a great job just simply because the time goes by and they would have had their trip back to normal regardless of whether the program was there or not. Got it. When you're talking to employers or vendors what are some of the key things you discuss with them? Because I know you also provide, you know, some consultative services to these companies. One of the big things is data sources. A lot of vendors have contact with participants through an app, through phone contact, all, all kinds of different ways that they have contact with the participant. So they have the opportunity to ask questions. And instead of jotting a few questions on the back of an envelope, they can use what are called validated survey questions. Some of these are open source, meaning they're available for free. Other ones you have to pay for. What it means is that when you use this survey question, it's been tested and studied to deliver consistent and reliable data for you. And uh, certain questions, there's public health data sets on them. So for example, if you ask your participants their called self-perceived health status. Simply ask them, would you say that your health is excellent, very good, good, fair, or poor? Sounds like a very simple question, but it's been mm-hmm. studied worldwide. <laughs> huh. um, and it correlates to the risk of having high medical costs, uh, all, all kinds of different things. So asking that simple question and showing change over time in those responses is a fantastic way to show improvement, hopefully improvement, in a group's health status. Sometimes it's very simple things like that, like just add this one question to your participant survey and we'll get some good data from it. Sometimes it is shifting how they're thinking about their savings. So a vendor might say a price transparency app that encourages employees to shop for their MRI or you know whatever services. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, we're saving money when a person uses the app and goes to a lower cost provider, that's one way of looking at it. But 
the better way, the broader, stronger way is to say, did the entire group spend less money on these services once this app was available to them? And and obviously, as you look at that, there are there are some other issues that could impact that either positively or negatively uh, that you would you would look into. So, for example, if you had 5,000 employees pre, you know, and here was their cost, we popped the app in, and suddenly we have 4,000 employees, and for some reason the really sick ones left, it might not mm. be the app, right? Correct. Right. That That's why you bring up a good point. That's why um, measures need to be expressed as rates. So mm-hmm. uh, a, a rate per capita or th- there's all kinds of different ways. Some, sometimes it's uh, member months. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, like low birth weight. That's always expressed as a percentage of all live births. It's all different ways of looking at that. But it's always a rate. It's never a number. And and in many of these cases, you could also compare rates to, say, some national data that's out there around rates for hospitalizations or ER visits in a population like that. Is that another area to go for comparative data? Yes, especially if the vendor or the employer can use the um, data specifications that the public health data sets are using. So uh-huh. there are organizations that publish measures, and if you can use those specifications, then you can compare yourself to other groups who use the same specifications. So that's something I help groups with. Don't just count your ER visits. Go here, use this framework, and now we can have other benchmarks available to you. Right. So, Linda, you've obviously reviewed a lot of companies' data and submissions around all sorts of different types of outcomes or cost areas. Uh, there are these awards given by, by the Health, by the Validation Institute, the Health Value Awards. Are there some uh, examples you could talk about uh, in terms of how they measured their results and uh, showed that they were actually performing as they said? Yes. One really great example was a company called Green Imaging, and they provide radiology services for a lower cost. And they had a program to reach out to employees, let them know this was available, and attract the employees to using their services. And they used great data source as their benchmark for comparing their costs to what the cost would have been um, using other service providers. And the, the best ones are the most simple and straightforward. And that was a great example of that. So they were able to document that using their services resulted in direct dollar savings in radiology? Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you talk about the right data sources, uh, you mentioned something about, um, you know, data sources around cost. And one of the things I know we've talked about a number of times is people comparing, saying, I saved you X thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars <laughs> versus charges. Can you Discuss the whole versus charges issue. Sure. I I did laugh a few times um, with some applicants who were comparing uh, what the hospital billed or full charges to what the employer ultimately paid. Well, the employer never was going to pay the hospital's full charges. The employer would have had a um, contract arrangement either through their payer or through a PPO network um, overseen by their third-party administrator. So that's the 
the wrong benchmark. And it looks like a fabulous amount of savings because it's, you know, 60% less uh, than what the charges were. But it's not the right reference point. Right. And in fact, I know that at least in a couple of cases I've seen, and you may have seen the same thing, is you, they don't tell you it's actually compared against charges or bills uh, right. unless you would ask them. So something right. clearly people should be asking. Right. And, and when they're applying for the health value award or, or something along those lines, I'm asking them. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And, and so what are some of the other things people should be asking their their vendors or uh, their, even their, uh, you know, TPA or whatever about the results? So my very first step in looking at a review is to look for other published research showing that this kind of intervention had the results, say a cost savings or quality improvement, that the vendor is promising. Very first step. Has anyone done this type of intervention and had the kind of results that you're talking about? And it's a step that I think a lot of people skip in part because it just seems too basic or it seems like something you don't need to ask. I always make that step. I always look for the literature to say, does a health literacy program, for example, reduce emergency room visits? Or does a maternity program increase birth weights? You know, those kinds of, they're very basic, very straightforward questions. But that's where I always start. And I think a lot of people just rely on conventional wisdom for that step, and it's, it's to their detriment. A lot of programs do not have the results that are promised. Right. That's sort of the foundational basis of this underlying intervention is likely to do X because it's been shown to do that. And oftentimes, I guess we just believe that where when we, in truth, that underlying intervention has no real studies to show it's done anything. Correct. Correct. And a health literacy program may reduce emergency room visits, but it may have no impact on, say, the length of stay for an inpatient visit. So I, it's always worth taking that step. So in terms of a question an employer should, should ask their vendor or TPA, is there some published third-party literature showing this result for this type of program? And that points to another issue that I think uh, is important. You mentioned third-party literature or even third-party studies. In much of the healthcare industry, the purported results are done by studies by the company themselves on their mm-hmm. own folks or you know folks they have. Doesn't mm-hmm. that in itself create some in- inherent bias? Correct, which makes it even more important in my mind to find some other source that's had similar results. <laughs> It's possible the internal team uh, is competent and has has done a terrific job with the data that they have. You always should be able to find something similar in the published literature. Mm -hmm. So who should be considered or or who out there should consider having their services or their vendors validated? Anyone who wants uh, an independent look at the success, the promise, the ROI, or the outcomes of the program. So unless an employer has its own staff of data scientists and others along those lines, it's worth it for them to say, has this been independently validated? And mm-hmm. to look for that third-party validation. Plus it will save the employer time. The ones who don't have that validation, um, 
may or may not have the results, <laughs> the ones who are confident in the results will go and get the validation. Right. So given that there's not in this in our industry an, a group like the FDA, a government or you know organization overseeing and and making sure the results are correct, that's the uh, the reason for a, a private organization to be doing that to provide that information back to the purchasers as well as the the, uh, the vendors. Correct. Yeah. P- perfect summary. What about an issue that's come up recently are startups. What should startups be considering and how should maybe employers look at that? Um, I love startups. It's a very exciting phase of of, uh, work and everything. Startups need to plan what data they're going to gather and what outcomes they're going to measure. Well, probably reverse order. What outcomes they're going to measure and what data they need to gather to make that happen. And have a partner, perhaps an employer or an insurer, to work with them through that phase, gather that data and learn together what the outcomes are. Well, it's been just fascinating, Linda, having you on. There's so much more we can get into. Hopefully we can get you back on to dig further into the data. But thanks so much for joining us today. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. And that will be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank Linda Riddle for her time and insights today. Validation Institute is a network of trusted healthcare vendors, health benefits advisors, and purchaser benefit managers focusing on delivering better health value and stronger outcomes than conventional health care. To get involved, go to www.validationinstitute.com. While there, be sure to subscribe to Valid Points, the newsletter, and this Validation Matters podcast for an informative series of broadcasts featuring top industry talent, and do follow them on Twitter via at valid underscore institute. For Validation Matters, Fred Goldstein and Linda Riddle, this is Greg Masters saying, bye now.